Well, good morning, Life Church, and well, thank you for being here on this holiday weekend, July 4th, Independence Day weekend. And uh, with that, you know, we've, we have come, uh, like we do each and every week, not to celebrate America. We are thankful to live in a place where we can gather together as the church. But what we truly celebrate is Jesus, right? Because Jesus is where our true independence comes from, through knowing and following him. And that's our desire for you today here at Life Church. We exist to be a safe place for everyone to find and follow Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, you can have the greatest uh, Independence Day of your life today. And that's our heart's desire and prayer for you. Uh, today, um, I'm actually not speaking. I'll introduce our speaker in just a moment. And I'm excited about that today. Um, uh, you all know him. Most of you know him and you love him and it's going to be tremendous. Uh, but today I get the privilege of being your host and, uh, and piano player today. And, um, I am so thankful that some of you showed up today. Yeah. So you guys are all the poor folk like me today. You guys are stuck in town. Couldn't go on vacation. Yeah. So very good. But, uh, I want to, um, thank each and every one of you. Thank you, Life Church, and those of you watching for um, uh, just loving on our family over the last week. As you know, we lost Stacy's dad unexpectedly last Saturday, and your prayers, your encouragement, your support, and all the notes, and the emails, and the text, and the Facebooks, and everything else, uh, I, I tell you guys, thank you. Thank you so very much, and uh, we had a um, sorrowful, but really a celebratory week this week, a celebrating dad's life. And I'm thankful that a lot of you got to know him and that he was able to speak here at Life Church several times. You got to see his heart. And um, uh, just an amazing man. And we just had a great time this week as a family celebrating him. And uh, not only that, but you know, it's kind of, it wasn't just our family, but we had two other families that, that dealt with loss this week. The Jesso family, uh, they lost uh, what I knew her as Aunt Sandy. Uh, and a lot of you around Life Church, pre COVID, you would have known Aunt Sandy coming into church. And, um, and you know, they, uh, her home going this week. And then you had um, uh, Kurt, uh, uh, the uh, Tamlonis family as well, as the loss of Kurt's dad last weekend also. Uh, so our hearts go out to everyone who experienced some loss over the last week. We've been praying for all the families here at Life Church uh, that have been affected. Uh, so a lot has been going on around here. Uh, but with that, we do have a couple things that last week um, I was going to, uh, we had a couple things planned last week with communion and baptism. That didn't happen if you were around. You came in wondering why, where's communion and stuff. Well, we it just didn't happen, okay? <laughs> uh, it is going to happen. We're, we're going to reschedule that for the last Sunday of this month now. Uh, so in just a couple more weeks, uh, we will uh, do communion, baptism, and do all those things. And so you can prepare for that. If you, are, if you have chosen to follow Jesus and you've never taken that first step in, in taking your faith public, then that is the that is the next that is the most incredible thing uh, to be baptized and we celebrate that we want to celebrate that decision that you have made whether you're here or whether you're just watching online today because you're out of town we need you to go to our website at lifechurchhw.com and sign up for the baptism service okay sign up for that so we can prepare and be ready for that we want to celebrate the decisions that you have made when you said yes to follow Jesus. I feel like I'm missing something else here. This, oh, yeah, giving. Yeah, I'm a preacher. I'm not supposed to forget the giving part, am I? 
I tell you what, I don't, yeah, so here you go. All right, so now you got me instead of Stephen today with this one. So here you go. Buckle up. I'm going to preach on this for a minute. Uh, no, just joking. But you know what? Thank you for your faithfulness. Because of your giving, we're able to do everything that we do at Life Church. You know, from paying our rent here to uh, taking care of, you know, buying cameras to the sound stuff to doing community activities. All the different things that we do is be, uh, we're able to do because of your faithfulness. It wasn't too long ago where Life Church existed primarily. Primarily because of others outside the church that supported Life Church. But that's not the case today. Life Church exists because of your giving and your faithfulness and because you've trusted God in the area of your finances. You know, whenever you see God, and God tells us, you know, to trust Him in that area, right? He says to set aside that first 10%. And when we do that, I'll tell you what, we, whenever, it, it sometimes it thinks, how can I do that? Well, it's sometimes hard to figure out things, but when we do things the way God does, the way God tells us to, and we step up by faith, it's like, wow, I really can do this. God really does bless. God really does take care of me. And putting him first in every area of your life, and including, I'm telling you, if you haven't stepped up in that area and trusted God with your finances, I'm telling you, I, I, you're missing out. On, on some great blessings in your life. I'm not saying you're going to win the lotto or your cryptocurrency is going to go through the roof or anything like that, okay? But God is going to bless you. And you're going to be part of seeing lives changed because of your investment in the kingdom, not only here, but around the world as we send money to missionaries and see the gospel and the message go out just like it does here. So would you be faithful with that? You can either give at our website, lifechurchhw.com. You can text any, any amount to 84321. Um, or you can, there is a uh, uh, giving box right there that you can drop your offerings in there as well at some point today on your seats. There is a, connect, well, it's actually, we used to use it as a connection card. We actually got some really nice new connection cards if this is your first time here. Uh, uh, you, you can find that at the front uh, uh, table out there. We'd ask you to fill that out. And if it is your first time here today, please fill that out. We have a special gift that we want to give to you today as well as we'll send you another gift in the mail this week. In, by email, we will send you another gift. So we just love visitors and we love celebrating that. But on your um, uh, seats there, we want to be a church that prays for one another. And on that side, the part that is facing up, just just. You can give us your name. You can give us a uh, prayer request. And anytime you have something that you want us to pray for you about, I promise you we will pray for you. I will pray for you. Our team will pray for you. Others in the church will pray for you regarding the things that touch your life. You can fill those out, and you can put those in the offering box as well, okay? Again, y'all, thank you so much for being here today. And like I said, we have a special guest speaker, first-time dad, first time, just a whole lot. It's actually, this is his second time to speak at Life Church, and you all know him. Brady James is coming today. Brady, come on. Incredible job with our youth and investing in our young people, and I know that because I've had a couple young people underneath him, um, and uh, so I know you guys love him, and I'm excited to see what God has given Brady this morning for us. Test, test. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yeah. All right, cool. Can't always tell up here. Um, but good morning, and thank you for being here. Like Brant said, um, thank you for being here on a, a holiday weekend. We appreciate you taking the time out of your lives and uh, being with us to worship this morning. Like you said, my name is Brady. Uh, my wife Emily and I, I have the privilege of leading the student ministry here, and it's such an awesome opportunity. I still don't know if they do it because we're good at it or we're just the most immature ones on the team, but either way, I'll take it because lo we love doing it. But um, like you said, it's, it's been a while since I've been up here. Um, 
think going on like two years or something, but um, I was relieved when he asked me the Sunday I told him because I was like, man, it's been so long. How bad did I do the first time? Uh, it's been this long, but I guess my probation's over. I'm allowed to be up here again, but I'm just kidding. But I am very excited to continue this, this series on Philippians that Brant started several weeks ago. But before we get going, do you mind if I pray for the service? Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Um, God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for just allowing all of us to be here, to gather here, to worship you. I pray that, God, I pray that I don't speak today. I pray that you speak through your word to hearts. Uh, I pray that um, lives are changed through uh, what is brought forward here and through what we learned today. Just uh, again, I thank you so much for the ability that we have to come together and to, to gather in your name, and we don't take that for granted anymore. Um, so we thank you, we love you, and you pray that you, we pray that you bless this service in your name. Amen. All right, so today, like I said, we're going to be continuing in Philippians 2, like Brant began several weeks ago. So we're going to be starting in verse 12, but as we start to look into the text, as we start to look into, you know, what Paul is writing to this church, I think it's important to always be reminded of what Paul's circumstances were. Um, because I know Brant's touched on it a couple times, but um, Paul, as he's writing this letter, which has often been referred to as the book of joy, uh, he's writing it from a prison cell. Uh, he's writing it from a prison cell where he is for the crime he's guilty of, of taking the gospel to the world, of taking the message of Jesus to the world. And so that's where he's at right now. It's not like he's sitting in some lavish, luxuri- luxurious place where he's just easy, easily finding joy. Um, He's sitting in a place where he's dealing with storms himself. He's sitting in a place where, you know, he's dealing with his own issues, and yet he's finding a way to turn around and to encourage others. He's, t- he's finding a way to write this letter and this message, message of hope and joy to this church. And as we begin to lo- walk through this passage, there are going to be two things specifically in the verses we'll look at today. Uh, he teaches several things throughout the book, but there are two principles he really hits hard on in these six verses we're going to be in today. And as we walk through, we'll break them down. So if you would begin with me in uh, verse 12 of chapter 2, it says, Paul speaking of the church, it says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And we'll pause right there. Um, Because what what you see here in the beginning is Paul actually really issues a challenge to these people. He he doesn't just like give them a pointer. He, he actually challenges them to do something. He says to work out your own salvation. And what that really means is like he, he knew they'd begun relationships with God. He knew that they had, many of them had begun to walk with God and they, they were in the beginning, and sta- beginning stages of their relationships with him. But he wanted them to understand that as much as they had leaned on him, because he was such a leader to several of these churches, he was such a guide for so many of the churches, he was had a part in helping start, they began to lean on him a lot. They, they looked to him for encouragement. There was nothing wrong with that. But when, you, when we read further, you're going to understand the context of why he's so adamant about this challenge. But he tells them, like, even the way you did in my presence was fine, but now I'm not with you. I am away from you. I can't be with you. My connection to you is limited. You need to continue to do that. And what he's really calling them to do is to continue to, continue to walk on their own. He's calling them to continue to uh, growing on their own. Not that he didn't care about them, but he needed, needed them to mature spiritually. He needed them to keep growing without him. And the way I like to think about it is, uh, you know, I have a seven-month-old daughter, my wife and I do, and I've already put her to sleep, so that's great. Uh, that's one down. Um, but, <laughs> um, you know, I love her, and, you know, she's only seven months old right now, but there's going to come a time, 
as many of you parents who have had children or have children in this age group, in a couple of years from now, she's going to be three or four, or between that and like seven or eight, and she's going to have those nights where she gets scared at night by a thunderstorm or whatever it might be that makes her feel unsafe to sleep in her own room, and she doesn't want to sleep by herself, and she comes running into our room, and she says, can I, can I spend the night in here? And she's going to ask if she can spend the night in there because she feels safer with us. She feels safer leaning on us in the room with us because we could obviously fight a thunderstorm. My wife could, not me. Um, but I'm not going to have a problem with that. As I'd be a pretty bad dad if I did. Um, I'm not going to have a problem with my little girl wanting to like, stay with us because she feels safer. And that's going to be fine with me when she's like seven or eight. But if she gets to be like 25 and this is still happening, you can see why that probably pose some issues. You know, I would love for one day for her to get married. I don't think her husband's going to put up with that. Um, if every time there's a storm outside, she needs to go around to mom and dad's room. Um, so at a certain point, she needs to stop needing us for those storms. She needs to stop needing us both literally and figuratively for all those storms. She has to grow and mature. Um, and so the same way, in the same way, Paul is encouraging the Philippians to do the same thing. Um, sorry, I get dry mouth. Uh, <laughs> but Paul is encouraging the Philippians to the same thing. He's saying, hey, I'm with you. I've been with you. I've loved to walk with you. I've loved to hold your hand as you've grown closer to God and you've grown to know him. But I'm not with you now. And so without me there, you still have to continue to do it. You still have to continue to grow and to mature. Uh, and this spiritual growth has to continue without me because I might not always be here. I'm not always going to be able to be there for you to lean on, to hold, my, to hold your hand. And if I fall, if you end up losing me one day, I don't want this church to just meet its demise. I don't want this church to fall apart because I'm not with you. You understand what I'm saying? Like, as much as we love Brant, Brant loves all of you, Brant doesn't want you to fall apart if you lose him. You know, at this point, if, if, you're not, if you don't have Life Church one day, if you don't have Brant, you don't have the Leach family, he doesn't want you to lose your faith. He doesn't want you to lose um, what you have with God because it's not founded in him. It shouldn't be founded in Brant. And again, as much as I love him, he can't handle that. He shouldn't be that person for you. He's not God, not even close. I love you, Brent, but you're not. Um, and in the same way, Paul's saying, like, hey, I'm no different than you. I'm just a man. You can't found your relationship with God in me because I can't handle that. I can't sustain that for you. I'm going to fail you. I'm a human being. And he tells him in verse 13, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He's saying, like, remember that although I was there with you, God was the one working in you. I might have been walking with you, but I didn't change your heart. That was God the whole time. And so if you lose me, you still got him. You never lost him. He's never going away. And so he issues that challenge, and immediately after that, he goes on to um, kind of explain and give some context to why he's so adamant about this right now. He gives an update to his current situation and kind of explains, like, this is the reason that I need you to grow without me because things aren't looking great for me. And at the same time, though, what you find, and this is probably the more important of the two points we're going to hit on today, is that as bleak as his circumstances look, as, you know, as kind of downward as his, his uh, scene seems to be trending, he, still, he tells them how they, there's so much joy to be found in it. There's so much happiness and joy to be found in his situation, as, as awful as it might look. So we're actually going to jump down a couple verses and pick up in verse 17. And again, this is, this is Paul still talking to him. He says, uh, Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. 
Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So he tells them in like more complicated terms, basically, I might lose my life soon. There's probably coming a time very likely soon that my life is going to be taken from me. I'm very likely going to lose it for what I've been doing. But then he goes on to say, but I rejoice. I'm glad that I'm losing my life. I'm glad to be making the sacrifice of my life, and I want you to be glad with me. Now, like, with no other context, that's a pretty weird thing to say. That's a pretty weird thing to hear, like, hey, I'm about to die, and I'm really happy about it. Like, that doesn't really add up in our minds. That doesn't really compute. Um, but when you go on, you, you understand the whole scope of what's happening and the reason he's saying he has this joy, it makes more sense. Now, if you know me, you know I'm a huge sports fan. Um, I'm from Kansas City, so I have a few better teams to root for than Brant, unfortunately. Um, you know, he, I've got the Chiefs and the Royals. He's got to rely on the Lions and the Tigers. Why, don't, why doesn't another uh, Detroit sports team name their team the Bears? That'd, just be a, that'd be a lot more fun to say. Or just be a Chicago Bears fan, Brant. Just add another terrible team to your... Uh, <laughs> Um, just kidding, but not really. Um, but, um, I love sports. I've, I've, if outside of God, my family, all the actual meaning, meaningful things in my life, uh, sports is probably like my number one passion. You know, I've always loved watching. I was a kid that watched ESPN instead of cartoons. I still watch cartoons when I was a kid, but I watched a lot more ESPN. Was I just loved, I developed an early passion for sports. But beyond that, and then along with it, I actually... I developed a love for collecting sports memorabilia uh, and like collectibles and things like cards, jerseys, autographs, that kind of stuff. I fell in love with that. And uh, when I was in, I think it was middle school, um, I, ga- I came into possession of what was probably one of the coolest things I ever owned. It was one of the coolest pieces I ever collected. And um, it was a baseball that was given to me, autographed by a guy named Derek Jeter. Um, if you know baseball at all, you know, probably know who Derek Jeter is. If not, um, he was a shortstop for the Yankees from the 90s to like the mid-2010s, and uh, part of the generation of baseball I grew up uh, watching, and he's widely considered one of like the greatest shortstops ever. Um, and so for, for being a young collector and sports fan like I was, that was a huge deal for me. I love that thing, you know, being like, I think it was like 12 or 13 when I got it, that immediately went up on display in my room. I was so proud of it, nobody could touch it. It was like this holy thing in my room that I just, I was going to keep forever. It was going to go to my kids one day, if they were lucky. Um, but it was probably one of the things I've, I've valued the most in this world. I, I fell in love with that ball, and I proudly displayed it and had it for years and years and years. And I thought there was nothing in the world that would ever make me get rid of it. I assumed that it was going to be with, my, with me forever. But then suddenly, um, kind of in an instant, that all changed, and I actually made the decision to sell that ball. Um, and again, with no context, context, that probably seems like a really weird shift. But the reason that I decided to sell it was I got to college and I met a girl named Emily. And um, um, I don't know why I'm crying at this part. Um, um, I promise it's not over the ball. I promise. Um, I love you. But but anyways, um, I met Emily and very early on I knew that this is the woman I wanted to spend my life with. But being like 19 or 20 years old, in college, money wasn't exactly something I had an excess of, uh, as many of you probably were. If you were rich in college, let me know how you did that. Um, but, you know, I wanted to start looking for rings. I wanted to start looking for a way to ask her to marry me. And if, 
being unexperienced in that field, I had no idea how much a ring was going to cost. And so I went looking and realized I was going to fall way short of what I needed. Um, and so I decided to look into alternatives. And one of the th first things I'd considered was that baseball and what that could be worth. And I was able to sell that on eBay or whatever it was, and I gave it away, didn't think twice about it. And I gave it away, and we're still together, so obviously it worked out. But, um, you know, at the same time, I had no regret in giving that ball away. I had no second thoughts. A fun update to that story is that Derek Jeter retired like a year later, and that ball went up like hundreds of dollars in value. So still no regrets, but timing is funny. Um, I told that sto this story to a group of middle schoolers, and all the boys told me I was stupid. Um, they'll, they'll get it one day. But um, not the middle schoolers here, I promise. Um, but I had joy in giving that baseball away. I was so happy when it sold. I was happy to give it away, not because I lost value in that baseball. I didn't just suddenly say, you know what, that thing's worthless to me. I don't care about that thing. I don't care at all about what that baseball meant to me as I was growing up. I've lost all value in it. I just found something in someone I valued a whole lot more, something that had a whole lot more value in my heart and love in my heart than that baseball could ever dream of having. And so I made a, a willing sacrifice with that without thinking of it, not because I'm just some great sacrificial person, but because I found something I was well worth giving that away. And that's exactly what Paul's saying here when he tells them that he has joy in his sacrifice, not because he's lost value in his life. He's not just saying, you know what, I don't care about my life anymore. I'm ready to throw it away. I'm ready to give it away. Just take it from me. He's saying, I have joy and sacrifice and sacrificing my life if that's asked of me because it's going towards your faith. My sacrifice is going towards the kingdom in the long run. And if, if that's what it's going to go towards, then it's better served for me to not be here if that's what it's going to go. If I'm, if I'm more capable of serving God through my death than my life, then that's where I want to go. That's the path I want to walk down. And that's the point he's trying to make to them here is, you may not always have me, and I, I've loved being with you, I've loved holding your hand and uh, helping you, but you're not going to have me anymore very soon, very likely, because I'm going to give my life up for your faith. But pay attention to the fact that it's for your faith, because that sacrifice can be paid forward. You can sacrifice for others through what, through what you see with me. Through what you see God do through me, you can then turn around and pay that forward to sacrifice for someone else. Uh, and that's the example that Paul wanted to leave. And the point in all this is that he found joy in this sacrifice, not because of what he was sacrificing. You know, if he sat there and focused only on what he was giving away, if, I f if we sit, sit here and uh, focus on only what we're giving away, it's going to be easier to not want to give it away because you're, you're remembering all the love you have for that. You're going to see all the plans you had for that. And you're going to start to grow bitter a little bit when you can only think about that. But Paul turned his eyes, toward, eyes towards heaven and the why. He turned his eyes toward why he was sacrificing. And that's where he found joy. He didn't find joy through losing his life. He found joy in the fact that his life was going towards something great. His life was going towards the kingdom. And that's where his joy was. That's where our joy can be. And, you know, as we start to kind of wind down, I know I'm a little earlier in this, but my wind down is probably going to be a little longer than Brant's. Um, but as we start to kind of go towards the end of this, um, there's a story about a guy that lived back in like the 20s to the 50s, who I feel like exemplifies and illustrates joy and sacrifice more than most anybody I can think of. Uh, it was a guy named Jim Elliott. Um, this is a story I've heard a thousand times probably growing up. You may have heard it too. But um, still, even if you've heard the story, just pay attention to like 
the, the detail and the detail and why it's still so powerful to hear the story over and over and over again about this guy and his, his team and his family as a whole. Um, because Jim was a guy, um, he was in his mid-20s, and he felt a calling on God, from God uh, on his life to go and to reach the world. Wherever God called him, he wanted to go um, reach the world for the gospel and for the message of Jesus of people that had never heard it before. And as he got a little older, uh, into his later 20s, he specifically felt called by God to this group of people in the jungle of South America uh, in the country of Ecuador known as the Akas. I think I'm saying that right. Uh, but he specifically felt called to these people. And um, it wasn't any simple task, though, because these people had a pretty strong reputation. Um, they had not been reached by the outside world. They were untouched by the outside world, not for lack of trying, but because they were a very violent people. They were very murderous and aggressive. They were known to um, just be people that you didn't want to contact with because it was going to be dangerous for you if they even saw you. And everybody that had tried to contact them to this point was actually killed by them. They took the lives of every outsider that had tried to contact them up to this point. And so this isn't some easy task that he's feeling called by God, but he still looks at it and says, that's where God wants me to go. That's where God's calling me. I'm not going to step away from it because I'm scared if that's where I know God's truly calling me to go. And so he does. He gathers a team. He, he gathers a team of him and four other guys, and they start laying their plans, and they eventually set out to this country of Ecuador uh, to finally reach these people and hopefully be the first people to contact and reach these people. And so in 1956, they, they land on a beach. They land their plane on a beach near where this tribe is located, and they begin to uh, try making contact with them. And at first, they, they make a little bit of contact with a few villagers, some light contact, and things seem to be going very well. And um, they're very hopeful through this. They're very confident now, like, man, maybe God's finally going to work in their hearts, and we're going to be the first people that um, can contact them and finally bring them the message of Jesus. And that would have been great, but sadly, that's not where the story goes. Because shortly after arriving the whole village ended up turning on them, and those five men were killed there on that beach. Uh, they were speared to death by the tribal warriors and left there. Um, and, you know, it's obviously not the story you want to have to the end, the ending you want to have to that story. But it doesn't end there. Because Jim's sacrifice and his team's sacrifice went on to make pretty worldwide news, went on to make pretty wide news, and... From that day forward now, that story has gone on to inspire thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people to take up that same calling, to turn to whatever place in the world God's calling them to, and to try and reach it with his message, to, to try and reach it with the message of Jesus. And um, so even in death, much like Paul was talking about with this sacrifice to the Philippian church, he's, Jim's sacrifice and his team's sacrifice made such a great impact, even though they weren't around to see it. And, you know, again, that'd be a great place to leave the ending of the story. That'd be a great, great place for the story to end. But it still doesn't end. Because Jim had a wife named Elizabeth. And uh, Elizabeth was so moved by her husband's compassion for these people that two, within two years of, the, of her husband dying, of her husband and his team being killed there on that beach, Elizabeth, along with her daughter, Valerie, and another woman whose brother was among Nate's team named Rachel Saint, they chose to go back. Less than two years after their, their loved ones had been killed on this beach, 
and these people had taken everything from them, they chose to go back. And you talk about guts, uh, number one, but also the forgiveness in that. The incredible forgiveness you would have to give to go back to someone who took that from you. I would hope that I would have that same forgiveness. I don't know standing up here that I could. So I'm trying to work on my jaw here. I don't know that I could have that forgiveness. But they had forgiveness for these people. They still had compassion, and they, they had passion for the, the calling that their loved ones had to go and to complete this mission that God had called them to, knowing what had just happened, knowing the faith that their loved ones had just met, that Jim and his team met shortly before this. But something happened in the hearts of these people. Because upon seeing Rachel and her, and Rachel and uh, Elizabeth and Valerie, something happened in the hearts of these people where they were actually open to listen. And through Rachel and Elizabeth going back, this entire village wound up being able to hear, finally hear the message of Jesus. And most of them began relationships. But it started because they went back. And it really started way back in Jim's heart when he was a young man to have this calling and to instill that calling into the people around him and to allow them to gain such passion for this thing he was passionate for. And because of that, that village then founded itself on God. That village found its foundation in God. They changed their ways. They, their reputation changed because they now found their identity in God. This God that people have been trying to reach them with for years and years and years, so unsuccessfully, they were finally able to reach them with it, and this village forever was changed. And they became believers. And they began relationships. And once again, like as much as it would be awesome to leave the story right there and to let that wrap it up in a bow and that, let that be the ending, and be like, yeah, that just, that's a perfect example of sacrifice. There's actually another element to the story that I didn't even know, I wasn't aware of until I was researching for today, um, that really just kind of takes the story to another level. It really changes like your perspective of what happened on the beach when Jim and his team were killed. Because Jim and his whole team were armed. When they died on that beach, they had guns on them. I wasn't aware of that until this past week. But they died with guns in, in, their, in their pants or pockets, holsters, whatever they had. And so they were obviously well within their means to defend themselves. They had opportunity with people coming at, coming at them with spears. You're obviously at an, an advantage if you have a gun. But they never fired a shot. Not a single bullet left a gun that day. And you wonder why. It was because Jim and his team, before they ever set out on that journey, they made a pact. And no matter what happened, no matter what danger they faced, those guns were only for protection from things like animals, other like natural things that might hurt them. They, were, they resolved among themselves that they would never use those guns on the people. Because Jim and his team knew where they were going. They knew the ending to their story. They knew where their eternity lied. But they didn't want to take the opportunity away from someone else to know God. It's because they knew these people didn't know. And they didn't want to be responsible for taking that opportunity away. And they understood, you know what, if God calls us to die on this beach, if God calls us to die trying to reach this, these people, he's got a purpose for it. He's got a reason for it. So we refuse 
to take the life of these people, these men who are staring us in the eyes with murder in their hearts, we're not going to hurt them. We refuse to take their lives. We'd rather let them take ours. And because of that, these same men that killed them on that beach had the opportunity to hear a couple of years later. Jim and his team kept their eyes fixed on why they sacrificed. You know, they didn't go down there to be the magical people who finally got to contact them, to be the people who finally got to go back and claim that they had contacted the Akas. They went because God had called them there. And beyond that, they were open to whatever he had. They went because God called them and they, they were open to whatever ending that story held. They just, they just knew they were called to go. And the heart that they had is really best uh, exemplified by something Jim wrote in his journal several years before this ever happened. Um, and it's a pretty semi-famous phrase. You might have heard it before. But I hear it in a, different, in a different light. After reading through this passage, after understanding more of the story, I hear it in a different way. Because back in 1949, in an entry dated October 28th, so seven years before his life was ever lost, because they died in 1956, so seven years before that, Jim, for whatever reason, moved by God on this day, he chose to write this simple phrase. He wrote in his journal, He is no fool who gives that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. I kind of stumbled through that, so I'm going to say it again. But he said, He is no fool who gives that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And in simpler terms, what he's saying basically there is, I'm not a fool. It's not stupid of me to sacrifice something to God that's of this earth, something that in the end of this, I can't keep anyways, because, you know, whether even up to my life, because whether I lose it now or in 60 years, I don't get to keep it anyways. It's not mine to keep forever. I'm not foolish to give anything up to my life on this earth for the kingdom of God, which is going to last forever. It's not foolish for me to give something that I can't keep for something that God's never going to lose. And so they willingly stepped into that sacrifice the same way that Paul was saying he's willingly stepping into his. Not because of what they were sacrificing, not because they were laying down their lives, but because of why their lives were being taken. Because of why their lives were being given, giving, being given away, sorry. Because the joy and sacrifice, the way we have joy and sacrifice, is understanding that the sacrifice God calls us to is for his kingdom. It's not for glory on this earth. It's not for us to get something in return. It's not for us to turn around and get something of equal value back. He's saying, whatever I call you to sacrifice on this earth, it's because there's something great for my kingdom on the other side. You've just got to see past whatever it is you, want, you don't want to give up, whatever it is, dream you have for yourself. You've got to see through that and see what's on the other side and see what I've got planned for what I'm asking you to give up. Understand the calling I have on your heart and understand how much greater your life is in this thing you don't want to leave behind because you're called to more than that. Whatever you give up, what, he, what he's going to give you is so much greater than whatever it is you're giving up. He is no fool who gives that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. You can bow your heads with me as we start to wrap this up. Because what I don't want to happen here is for us, like I've done so many times in my life, to just hear this and just to move on and just to go about our lives and think about, you know, it's a holiday, what, do we, what plans do we have for tonight? And immediately allow this to not impact us because we've forgotten about it. 
because this isn't just a Sunday thing. This isn't just a thing to think about when you're here in this building with these people. This is a daily thing that we need to have on our hearts. This is a daily thing for people like Paul and like Jim Elliott. They consider this stuff every single day of their lives, like what is God calling me to give away? What calling does God have in my heart that I'm getting in the way of? Because God's going to call us all to sacrifice in one way or another. Because the first thing he calls us to sacrifice is our life. The first thing he calls you to lay down is your, your plan for your life, your goals and your dreams for your life. And he says, give it to me and let me do with your life what's going to be greater for my kingdom. He asks you to step into that relationship and it costs you everything. But you can be rewarded with so much more than this earth ever has to offer by stepping into that relationship. And you have that opportunity every single day. You have it here today if you've never done it. And if you remember nothing else from this morning, if you remember nothing else I've said, just take your eyes back to what Jim wrote in his journal that day and understand that we here, Life Church, we as believers now in 2021, we're not foolish to give the things of this earth. We're not foolish to give the things that this earth has to offer away to God for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. We're not foolish to give away these things we cannot keep for something that God's never going to lose. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for, God, just your love for us. We thank you for the joy that we can have in sacrificing anything to you. We thank you for uh, your son. We thank you for the sacrifice he displayed on the cross. And uh, God, we just come to you today uh, hoping to have our hearts changed. I pray that hearts are changed today, and I pray that relationships are started with you today, and that, God, that uh, relationships are grown and uh, that uh, <clears throat> walks with you are strengthened. And God, most of all, I just pray that, <clears throat> that you are glorified through everything we do in our lives. I pray that we live our lives every single day for you. It's not just something we try to live out in front of other people, but it's a lifestyle we allow to change us from the inside out. And so we come to you just humble today, asking you to fill our hearts, asking you to change us and to grow us every single day of our lives. And we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Good job, man. He challenged us today, didn't he? What are you giving your life for? What are you living your life for? What are you being poured out for? Just as Brady has already encouraged us, you'll never, ever regret pouring your life out, sacrificing for the things of God, living for the world to come instead of the world that we live in. You know, the Bible tells us, what shall a man profit if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul, right? But so many of us, boy, we live life as though this is all there is right here. We live to try to get as much as we can out of the here and now with no thoughts of putting God first. And we're just as followers of Jesus. We do it just as much as anybody else. And boy, he's called us to something different, hasn't he? He's called us to be poured out as a sacrifice for others, for the faith. Man, it's a privilege to give our lives for the kingdom. It, it, it's a privilege to give our lives for God because as we're gonna close out, as we've already sung, nothing else matters in all the world than what we do for Jesus. Give your life, let, let me encourage you as your pastor to give your life for the things of God. Don't hold back, be all in. Because you know what, we don't know what tomorrow holds. Be all in, make a difference. 
Man, there's a God who gave everything for you. He loved you most. He knows everything about you, but still loved you most. And gave his son. He gave everything. He was that sacrifice for us. Now we ought to in turn live our lives for him. Would you stand with us? Thank you for being here today. Would you stand? And as we sing, sing this as a prayer, as a declaration from our hearts as we go about this week that nothing else matters. I just want you, I just want you, and nothing else, oh nothing else, Jesus, nothing else will do, I just want you, and nothing else, nothing else, Jesus, nothing else will do. I just want you, nothing else, no, nothing else, Jesus, nothing else will do, I just want you, nothing else, no, nothing else, Jesus, nothing else will do. I'm caught up in your presence, oh, I just want to sit here at your feet. I'm caught up in this holy moment, and I never want to leave, no, sing it. For blessing, Jesus, you don't owe me anything, and more than anything that you can do, I just want you. Have a great week, Life Church. We love you.